0: You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you today? Man, are you guys enjoying this gathering so far? Man, God is good. He has saved us. He has brought us into his family, and we get to be here as the family of Christ, worshiping our Father. And so it's good to be with you this morning. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, We are continuing our series called... 1,000. And the idea, friends, is that a picture is worth a thousand words. And so we're here this week. Next week will be our last and final week. Do not miss the series finale of 1,000. What if I preach the entire message in that voice? Would that be cool or tired? Like, We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Anyway, uh, next week is our series finale, and then we'll be moving on. We have a special guest coming on October 31st. You don't want to miss uh, our network leader, Mark McGeever. The week after that, we're going to be breaking down a psalm for a few weeks, and then it's Christmas time. It's Christmas. Are you guys excited for Christmas? Yes, so am I. Let's not talk about it. Okay. Um, So we're continuing the series. We've seen that the church is like a bride. The church is like a field. The church is like a spiritual temple. The church is like a body, so on and so forth. And this morning, before we get to this picture, friends, before we get to the next metaphor in our series, we, in this very room, we need to have a DTR. Raise your hand if you know what a DTR is. Okay, man, maybe only those under the age of 35. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, Yes, so a DTR, let me explain to you. A DTR stands for define the relationship. All right, you're still not getting it. Let me explain. Let me explain more. There comes a point in every relationship. There comes a moment where you need to look at the other person. You need to look at them in their eyes, and you need to define the relationship. And so you ask, what are we? What is this? We're spending a lot of time together, but like, what is us? Is there even an us? Hmm, right? And so whether the guy initiates or the girl initiates, there comes a moment where we need to bring clarity of what are we? There comes a moment where we need to give context so that we should know what we should expect from one another, right? We need to set the expectations. We need to make sure that we're on the same page. We need to DTR to find the relationship. Maybe you're here this morning and you were brought with your special friend and people meet you and they say, hey, so is this your, no, 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 just my special friend. We just enjoy each other's company, right? And it's awkward because we just wanna know what is the relationship. And so as a pastor who has stumbled into many of those, oh, is this your spouse? No, it's my sister. No, it's just my friend. No, I like her. She just doesn't know yet. As a pastor who has stumbled into many of those situations, I know the importance of a good DTR. And so our passage this morning, friends, is going to facilitate a DTR. So in this next picture of our series, in this next metaphor, we are going to ask a very important question. We are going to define a very important relationship, but we are going to ask friends is this: what is the relationship between a pastor and his people? Friends, I like you. What are we? Are we a we? What is this? Your elders, they're here this morning and they're wondering: so how are we doing? And so this morning, just for the next few moments, we are going to define the relationship. What is the relationship between a pastor and his people? Are you guys ready? Do you want to do a little DTR with me? All right, well, it's coming. Here we go. First Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 17. Listen to what it says. This is Paul writing. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This is God's word for East Point Church this morning. And so we're here in the book of Thessalonians. We're not going through the whole book, so I need to provide some context. Paul is a missionary. He wrote much of the New Testament. And as a missionary, he's traveling all over the ancient world. And he is preaching the gospel. People are becoming Christians. They're putting their faith in Jesus. They're going public with their faith through baptism. And it's amazing. If God's people are like a family, there are a lot of babies coming. A lot of new Christians being born, and he's there traveling the world doing this. And so he's in Thessalonica in Greece, and he's there for three months, okay? And in those three months, you should see this guy, man. He is in action. He is preaching the gospel. He is doing Bible studies. He is baptizing converts. He's discipling them in the scriptures. He is teaching these new Christians how to grow in their faith and how to reach the world. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? How to grow in faith and reach the world. And things are great there. He's doing this ministry. He's doing his thing. But but there's a group of people that belong to the Jews who start to get jealous. They don't like the fact that he's calling them and he has all these followers and that he's preaching the gospel. They don't like that. And so they get jealous and they start a Twitter rage it blows up into a Facebook rage. Before you know it, they're just smearing everybody on social media. And then finally the mobsters come out and there is a violent mob that runs them out of town. And so Paul, Pastor Paul, Pastor Silas, Pastor Timothy, they literally have to flee in the middle of the night to survive. And Paul, he's writing this and he thinks back to that moment and look how he says it. Listen to the the verbiage. He says, we were torn away. Have you ever been torn away from someone? This wasn't a nice goodbye. This wasn't the last supper. Let's sit down for our final meal before you move. We were torn away. We thought we would see you the next morning, but we were literally being passed out of the town at 1 a.m. Oh, it was torn away. And so most of you in this room, if you were being attacked by a violent mob, your first concern, your primary thought would be, am I going to survive this? Your boy, personally, full transparency, I'm thinking of like, how do I get my family? How do I get my children? How do I get my laptop and all of my valuables? How do I make sure, I'm being real, how do I make sure I get out of here safely? But that's not Paul's first thought. He's being torn away from this town. He's being kicked out of the city and his top priority, his biggest concern is this. What about the new church? What about the Christians who are in the middle of being discipled? What about those people who are in the middle of our Bible study? What about those new th- those those young men who were learning how to love their wives and their children? Well, what about them? What about the teenagers who man, I was just starting to get through to them and ah and right just whoosh, ripped away, torn away, and he's nervous. Will they stay standing? Their faith—it's like a little plant, you know. When you have a little, what is a seedling or a sapling, it's like, oh, it's so cute. But like, don't put it directly under the sunlight because it won't be able to withstand the elements. Their their new faith, and he's torn away, and he just goes, if I'm not there to encourage them, if I'm not there to minister to them, if I'm not there to love them and encourage them and teach them, will they still be standing? We can clearly see, friends, as a result of that time together, after three months of doing life with them, we see that there is great affection between a pastor and his people. Can you hear it? Can you hear his affection? He says, we were torn away from you, brothers, but in person, not in heart. He's like, they could rip me out of your town, but they can't rip you out of my heart, right? You could take the pastor out of the city, but you can't. He loves them. He loves them, right? You could hear the affection dripping. He never stopped thinking about them. He wasn't torn away. He was like, ah, you know, there's plenty of other towns, you know, like, all right, there's always more fit. No, no. He said, I'm always trying to get back to you. I was always thinking about being with you again. He says, more eagerly, with great desire, I wanted to be with you. Friends, this is a pastor who loves his people. This is a pastor who loves his people. And I want to pause here because this is a critical insight for us, East Point Church, as we take a moment to define the relationship. This is a key verse, right? For any elder in this room, for any pastor in this room, for anyone who aspires to either of these offices, pastoral ministry is not an exchange of goods and services. Thank you very much. Pastoral ministry is not a professional clergyman who gives you services and you pay for them. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. It's, this is not a cold, professional, detached, aloof relationship here. What we see from Paul is that to be a good pastor is to engage on an emotional, relational level. It's to give so much of yourself to a people that you feel love and concern and care and protectiveness of the people who have been entrusted into your care. Is it messier? (laughs) Yes. Is it more painful this way? Is it more frustrating at times to put so much of yourself into a people? Does it hurt more to care more? Absolutely. Is there any other way to do it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I remember when I was a teenager. Oh, man, I was, I was talking to this older pastor, and he meant well, you know. He was just trying to encourage me because um, I wanted to be a pastor. You know, and I told him, I want to be a pastor. And he's giving me some advice, and he's talking about things. And then I'll never forget, he said this to me. He goes, Sam, just remember, when you're a shepherd, you can't get too close to the sheep. Okay? Because you need to do a job, and if you're too emotionally invested, you won't be able to do your job well. And plus, don't forget, sheep bite. (laughs) Am I right? You're right? Oh, man. And I get what he was trying to say, but does that sound anything like Pastor Paul here this morning? Does that sound anything like what he said earlier in the chapter? Listen to what he said. He goes, so, being affectionately desirous of you. I want that tattoo to my body. Affectionately desirous. I'm not sure where I'll put it, but maybe if you have advice, let me know. Affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Does that sound like don't get too close to the sheep? No. And so we're having a DTR here this morning, friends. Our elders, your pastors here at East Point Church, we are not here just to share a message with you. We are not here just to stand back and to manage an organization. We are here and we are all in with our very lives. We are invested in love and care to see this congregation grow in faith and reach the world. We love you, and we're growing in love for you every single day. And some of you need to hear this, right? Whether it's your church experience or whether it's just your millennial distrust of of leadership and authority, right? We are not here just to punch in a clock. There are so many better things to do to punch in a clock. And every elder said, amen. Amen. This is not for a paycheck. This is not because we're bored. The men in this room who carry the weight of eldering are doing this with great affection and great love and great concern and great personal investment because our love and our care and our concern is a small reflection of the love and care of our good shepherd. Jesus loves you, Jesus is your shepherd. Jesus cares for you. He is looking out for your best interest. And we as elders, we as pastors, we get to be a small reflection of the love and care of God himself for you. Friends, there is great affection between a pastor and his people. And this is what we see from Paul, right? There is great affection between a pastor and his people. And we see this here, which means... It's even more painful when there's separation, right? At least it's more painful than if he didn't care. It's more painful than if he was like, ah, take it or leave it. But do you know what makes this separation even more painful? It's realizing the cause of that separation. Look what separates them. Look at the next verse. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. And so we know that there is great affection between a pastor and his people. And there is also, there can be painful distance between a pastor and his people. Remember the story. We know that they were separated because of a mob, right? A mob ran Paul and his, and his other pastors out of town. But we learn that there's actually more going on here than meets the eye. Even after that initial riot, even after he was kicked out, he said, again and again, I was trying to get back there. Again and again, I was trying to do ministry with you. Again and again, I wanted to be with you, but it wasn't happening. And he tells us why. Why, friends? You see it? Come on. We're, we're, we, we're a Bible people here, which means we don't just look to, to the, the microphone and say, teach me. We say, nope. Hey, fingers, let me see. Finger check. Ready? Boom! It's right in the text. There's the answer. Why? Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. What is going on here? <laughs> when I was in high school, um, it lasted literally all four years. But we got into this like perpetual debate. And maybe you guys have been a part of this debate. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe you still debate it. But we used to love to debate when I was a teenager what makes a sport a sport? And so we would love to heckle our cheerleader friends, and we would get into these debates about what is a sport and what's not a sport, and you know, well, sport has to have this, and it just, it was always, you see the cheerleaders get worked up, you know what I mean? Can you do this? And it was like triple backflip, corkscrew, turn, salt. You know, and it was just like, And so they would try to say, no, it's a sport. And then, for some reason, the conversation always ended when they would go, wait a minute, Sam, you're in the marching band. Who are you to talk? I was like, ooh, you're right, time out. I'm going to end the debate right there. But, you know, as we debated it, we, we we always found that a key trait of our definition, a key component of the definition of a sport was someone needs to be playing defense. That's like the key difference between a competition and a sport. We used to like to think that a sport, it means that someone is playing defense. Someone is actively working to hinder your efforts. There's a goalie, there's a defender, there's an adversary, not just a, comp- not a competitor, someone directly opposing your effort. That was our definition. If that's the definition of a sport, I'm here to tell you, Christianity is a sport. Christianity is a sport. Christianity is not an open goal. Living for Jesus is not an open goal. Friends, there is an enemy of your soul. There is an enemy of Christ. There is an enemy, an adversary, who is opposing your growth in the faith and opposing your efforts to reach the world. Christianity is not a walk in the park at our leisure. Someone is playing defense, and we need to be aware of this. Peter tells us this much. Look what he says. He says, be Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Someone's playing defense. Be wise. C.S. Lewis, great author, great thinker, he said this way There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Most people, either overestimate or underestimate spiritual warfare. They believe everything is the devil <laughs> or nothing is. The devil likes how we overbelieve or how we underbelieve. Just don't Bible believe. Do you believe in the devil? I remember growing up, right? I grew up in, a, in a, a Latino culture. My mom is Puerto Rican. And so just part of that culture was like, demonio, right? She dropped her glass of water. And that was my mom, demonio, the devil made me do it, Right? You know, that's how it was, right? We stubbed our toe, ah, demonio, right? And I remember, like, mom, it wasn't the demon, you're clumsy, right? And then the demon attacked me, you know? Demonio. I learned, man, I learned. You see, we don't want to overbelieve, but we also don't want to underbelieve. We don't want to be like, ah, the devil, I can do whatever. No, there is an enemy of your soul, friends. And we need to be aware of this. We can't be naive. We can't think that, that just growing in faith and reaching the world is a stroll in the park. For many years, for, for de- uh, centuries, Christians called this spiritual warfare, which you can think that's intense or not. The point is, there is a battle. Be clear, this is not a battle between two equal sides. This is not God versus Satan and who will win. It is God and then a little creation called Satan. And this is not like two equal forces, but the devil is there. There's an enemy to our souls. And so we resist the devil, not with flesh and blood, physical weapons. No, our weapons are spiritual weapons. Prayer, forgiveness. Forgiveness is making sure that the devil doesn't have a root of bitterness to hold on to in our hearts. Our spiritual weapons are the truth, the truth sets us free. There is an enemy of our soul. And so this is what Paul finds himself up against, okay? Satan is trying to destroy. Satan is trying to undermine the faith of this new church, the mission of these new Christians. Satan's doing that, he says. But here's what's really interesting. And here's, this is crazy. We actually get a glimpse into his playbook. Satan, we know Satan is out there. We know that he's playing defense, but he left the playbook on the field and we picked it up. And we walk into the locker room and we get to see his whiteboard. We get to see Satan's strategy. Look what he does here. The enemy of our soul is hindering something. What is he hindering? He says, we wanted to come to you. We wanted to come to you. Satan is hindering that. Let me explain. If the enemy of our souls, if the enemy of the church is interested in creating distance, interested in creating space, interested in creating separation between a pastor and his people, what does that tell you? If if the enemy's strategy on the whiteboard of his locker room is separate, distance, destroy affection, get them to be opposed to one another, that tells us that we should probably be on guard against that very thing happening, right? That when we notice this happening, the space between a pastor and his people, we should go, whoa, 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 I saw this in Satan's playbook. If you want to read his full playbook, it's called Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Uh, I'm only saying that, have joking, it's a fantastic piece of literature. And C.S. Lewis, uh, he, he writes from the perspective of a demon, giving instructions to his nephew, here's how to get the Christians to be destroyed. And so it's powerful, highly recommend that book. But Satan knows, friends, that he can do a lot of damage if he can create distance between a pastor and his people. Satan can do a lot of damage, and he can be very effective if he can create separation between the sheep and the one who is called to care for and lead the sheep. Do you see that? Do you see his strategy? And so here in Thessalonica, he's working to create literal physical distance. But we know that distance doesn't have to be literal, right? There could be emotional distance. There can be relational distance. Whatever that cooling of those affections are, whatever that relational disharmony can be, we need to be aware of it because that's literally in Satan's playbook. If he can get the sheep to bite the shepherd, if he can get the shepherd to hate the sheep, to despise the work that he's called to do, how many of you know that there will not be a lot of positive momentum toward the mission? The fact that Satan's strategy, the fact that the enemy of our souls is interested in putting space between a pastor and his people tells me that we should be on guard against that. Man, if you've been in church for more than three months, you know what I'm saying is true, that you will have more unreasonable thoughts about your pastors and about your elders than almost anyone else in your life. Maybe your spouse and then your pastors and elders. You will have more unreasonable thoughts than anyone else. You will be more sensitive. You will be more easily offended by any other person in your life than your pastor. You will, because that's Satan's strategy. And if you're paying attention, if you have a high level of emotional intelligence and self-awareness, you may even recognize it as a foreign thought, and you might say, wait a minute, why am I having that thought? Don't be naive. It's Satan's strategy because the enemy knows that if he can create distance between a pastor and his people, you will be sitting here in your chair, and for the entire 35 minutes, you will be nursing an offense, not listening to the Spirit of God speak to you. How powerful is that? If the enemy can get you to sit in a chair and waste your life for an hour and 15 minutes just fuming angry, he's got you right where he wants you. Oh, man. We need to be on guard, friends. We can't be naive. We need to be East Point Church. Our subtitle, we are smart. Like that should be literal. We are smart. What do you mean? We are, not, we are not foolish when it comes to the enemy's devices. We are smart. Let's make t-shirts. We are smart, and so we guard against that. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to nip any of that in the bud right here because I'm going to confess to you. I'm going to speak for all of our elders when I say this, okay? I will sin against you. Let's get that out of the way. I'm speaking for all of our elders and pastors. We will sin against you. No defensiveness. I'm not Janai. Well, no, but actually, if you really understand, no, we're going to sin against you, okay? But that's my first promise. How's that for your? how <laughs> was church? And my pastor promised to sin against us. Huh? What kind of church is that? <laughs> it's a real church. We are smart. I will sin against you, but I will apologize. I will repent. I will be working through my own sanctification. And as I work through my own sanctification, you guys are going to experience some of the fallout. But God's grace and his forgiveness are new every morning, and so we will avail ourselves of it daily. That's our promise. Here's our other promise, friends. When you sin against us, not if, when you sin against us, here's our promise. We will forgive you. We forgive you. We will not let bitterness or offense take root in our hearts. (laughs) We love you. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? We will wage war to maintain our affection and our love and our gratitude for the sheep who have been entrusted into our love, our care, and our leadership. And so here's my, my question, my request. Can we keep the space between us clear? Can we do that? Can we lean into those crucial conversations? Can we avoid gossip? Can we avoid the the untended bitterness in our souls that gets us to... "Mm." Can we avoid that? Because if the space between a pastor and his people stays clear, God will do amazing things. And plus, we know that the enemy wants that, and so why would we give the enemy what he wants? Does that make sense? There's great affection... There's painful distance, but it's all worth it because look at the last few verses here. Look at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Church, what I'm saying this morning is that there is great affection between a pastor and his people. There can be painful distance between a pastor and his people, but it is all worth it, friends, because there will be glad rejoicing by a pastor for his people. There will be glad rejoicing. Paul, he likens his ministry to a race, okay? And so Paul is in Greece, so don't just think race like on the playground. This is an Olympic race, Olympic running. It's not the only time in the scriptures that he refers to this. And so an Olympic athlete, they would train woo, they're running 26.2 miles. They would train, they would wake up, they would run in the heat, they would run in the cold, they'd run in the early morning, they'd run at night. They would do anything and everything that they needed to do to log the miles and get ready for the race. And guess what? Some days, it was a joy. Some days, they loved it. And there were other days that they said, dear God, why in the world am I a runner? Dear God, who does this to themselves, right? And on that day, when they were tempted to quit, you know what they pictured in their mind? They pictured the crown. They pictured the prize that they would get at the end of the race. And so they woke up that morning and they go, I don't feel like running 15 miles. But they would look at that picture on their nightstand and they go, I'm running for this. They're running in the middle of a race, and they go, I feel like quitting. But they would close their eyes, right? But they had a lot of dexterity, so they could run with their eyes closed because they're Olympians. But they would run, and they'd close their eyes, and they would picture what it was going to feel like to step up on that podium and to say, well done. Here you go. All of it was worth it. When things get hard, they would see the picture of the crown taped up in their locker. They would remember that crown. They would remember that moment. They would look forward to the day that they would be awarded the victor's crown or the crown of boasting so that all of the work would be worth it. And Paul, like a runner, Paul is running hard. Pastor Paul is working hard. Pastor Paul is grinding it out. And just like a runner, there are certain days he wants to quit. Just like a runner, there are certain days where he goes, is this even worth it? Just like a runner, there are certain days where he says, this is hard. But just like a runner, he looks forward to the day where he will receive the crown of boasting. And here's the question. Here's where we're coming all this way to come here, friends. What is the crown of boasting? What is the crown that he'll get? Money, fame in heaven, sitting at the right hand. No, no, what is the crown? What is the prize? What is the hope and the joy that he is looking forward to on that day? Finger check. Right in the Bible, look what it says. Is it not you? And here's our next metaphor of the church. Here's the next picture of the church. The church is like a crown. The church is like a crown of boasting. The prize for Pastor Paul is that on that day he will see his people still standing firm in their faith, standing before Jesus. That's his prize. To see those people that he was so concerned for their well-being, he's going to see, yes, they were not derailed. Yes, the tribulations did not defeat them. They are standing fast in their faith. They are still serving Jesus. He says, that's my prize. Let me put it to you this way. The people's perseverance is the pastor's prize. The people's perseverance is the pastor's prize. Everything that Pastor Paul is doing, everything that your elders are doing, are for the day that you will stand before Jesus, radiant in righteousness, having persevered to the end, not being derailed by the difficulties, but standing steadfast in faith. The pastor's prize is the people's perseverance, and the people's perseverance is the pastor's prize. Let me give you some other verses. Look what he says. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. How, what, what makes us alive? What gives us joy? If you're standing fast. Because the people's perseverance is the pastor's prize. Look what he says in Philippians 2. I'm praying that you would hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, well, let's call that podium day, all right? When he gets to stand on the podium, when the race is done, he says, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He goes, oh, dear God, I don't want to show up to that day and none of my people are there. And I go, why did I just run for? What What did I just even do that for? But if you read the very next verse in 17, he goes, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He goes, even if it was all for nothing, even if I'm the only one that shows up in heaven and all y'all are somewhere else, he goes, you know what? I did it because I love God anyway. The people's perseverance is the pastor's prize. They will be glad rejoicing on that day, friends, by every pastor for his people. And elders, every late night, Every hard conversation, all of the hours, all of the patience, all of the long-suffering, it will have been worth it, because the people's perseverance is the pastor's prize. The people's perseverance is the pastor's prize. Church, we love you. We get to be elders. We don't do this under compulsion. We don't do this because, you know, nobody else did we love this. We're not doing this because it's fun. It's heavy lifting. It's emotionally draining. It is time consuming, but it's worth it. Because one day we will see the people who have been entrusted to our leadership, and you will still be standing. You will still be standing to the glory of God. And we will rejoice, and there'll be much celebration, and we're going to party for a long time. It's like eternity, so it's going to last forever. But we'll do so because we know that the people's perseverance is the pastor's prize. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you that you love these people, that you have saved these Christians and brought them into your family. And Lord, I thank you that I get to be a pastor. I thank you that we get to be elders over your flock. These are your sheep. You are the good shepherd. And Father, I pray that you would define the relationship here, Lord, that you would keep things clear between elder and, and congregant between sheep and shepherd so that you, Lord, would continue your work in this church. And so thank you for this picture, Lord. Thank you for the call to endure. Thank you, Lord, for the great love and affection that can exist in a church. We pray, Lord, that East Point Church, that it would not just be a smart place, but it would be an affectionate place, that we love our pastors and elders, that we love each other to the glory of God. We thank you for this time in the word this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. You can stand with us. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.